Welcome listeners. This is Teresa McBean at North Star Community. I am Scott McBean, also at North Star Community, and watching Teresa make a crazy face while she tries to get prepared to speak into the microphone. (laughs) So I'm going to have to get settled here. This is why I have the perfect face for podcasting. (laughs) (laughs) It's not a commentary on your face, just the expression that you are making. Goodness. Well, we're catching up with our podcasting. This particular message was yours, I believe. Yes. And it was from November 16th. 16th. Yep. And uh, you started out with an interesting question, which sort of stumped the audience, mm-hmm. which is kind of hard to do. Well, we it's have not, an astute audience. It, it, was a, it was a bad question. Uh, but, I mean, I think we can at least ask it and then, you know, talk about because there's two of us up here you know we can kind of talk about what was the um purpose of it yeah so the question as i recall you asking uh was when you think about who you are what your identity is your perception of your own identity where do you think that comes from like yeah where do you think you get this idea of who Uh, you are yeah and that i mean that is how i wrote it down too and i i think i said it a little bit differently but like what are the things, you know, we th- I think we started with what are the things that you would consider to be a part of your identity? And mm-hmm. then, like, how do you decide that? Right. Right. And um, so that that's essentially of that's essentially a question of, like, how do you know what your identity is? Right. Like, what are the factors? You know, like what makes Scott Scott? And then how do I how do I decide what that is? Right. Well, you know, what's so interesting about this message mm is that um, I asked a question. So every Wednesday night here at North Star Community, we have a women's group. Mm -hmm. We've been meeting for longer than North Star Community has existed. It was our first action that we took prior to creating North Star Community. And so it's been around for probably 22 years now. And uh, some of the women have been in there almost that long. So it's a longstanding group. And... um, we don't sit around asking what the purpose of the group is much anymore, right? I mean, it's, you know, it's like we kind of know and we do. So a few weeks ago, I asked the question um, that was inspired by a question you had asked your men's group, uh, what change are you working on? Uh, what have you tried and what are your obstacles? And because we're kind of a big group, it took us a month to let everybody <laughs> answer the question. and. Um, took us like five minutes. It, you did it? Well. No, I'm kidding. Not quite that long. We got through it in one night. Okay. Well, it took us a lot of nights. But do you I know- said not quite that long. I meant not quite that short. <laughs> <laughs> not quite five minutes. It took 3.30. So anyway, what happened was is then I wrote everything down and I put it in a spreadsheet because mm. I was that you wanted committed to, chart to it. it. I wanted to chart it. Oof. I know. And- um. It, I need it to sort of guide what we're going to do in the upcoming year because contrary to popular belief, I actually plan these things. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it looks like I don't, but I actually work quite hard at planning, and I don't know what that says, but oh well. Mm. So guess Maybe guess you what work the, quite hard at looking spontaneous. Yeah. Mm. Guess what the most common thing that showed up was? For, like, something that you want to change? Yeah. Uh, my guess would be diet or exercise. Nobody said that. 
Not, not a single person. Not a single person said that. That's great. Uh, they ask the question. They want to know who they are. Huh. That they feel like they have no idea who they are and what their identity is. How is that? Okay, I'm trying to understand. And they want to change that. They want to change the fact that they feel like they don't know themselves. Yes. And mm -hmm. they, they have some really good thoughts and suggestions about how that's going to change. And they have super clear ideas about why that's an obstacle. They did not pick something easy. They did not pick something easy. That's why I call them princess warriors. But it's really interesting that you and I would be having a conversation about uh, how we become who we are. Right. Um, and I'm going to um, uh, enjoy um, exploring this further with them. But I was completely shocked by those responses. Um, yeah. Now, you presented in your message a theory about how we develop identity. Right. What was so it? The, I mean, there's a lot of different ways that you could talk about this, right? So I don't want people to to walk away from this thinking like, this is the only way to think about this, and now I have to think about this in this way, or like I have to think about this totally differently. But like this is merely an example of one way you can think about identity. So um, some people will say that identity is a product of the patterns of your behavior. Okay. So the example that we gave is, let's say that, let's choose an extreme example. Right? Oh, good. So I love extremes. So it can be clear. Let's say somebody steals from, let's say somebody shoplifts eight, okay. eight times a day for 10 years. Okay. Right. So, so like we have this problem with identity in our culture now because like you can't give anybody a negative identity without being a shamer. Mm -hmm. Right, which is like probably an okay thing as a mm -hmm. culture to like react against is shaming identities, but like let's just say for the sake of of the example, somebody steals eight times a day for ten years, like you're probably a thief, and right? a really good one, yeah. right? Really successful thief. So yeah, yeah, because you've gotten away with it and you're yeah. still on the street, right? So, um, so that's not to say that that the person who does all that stealing is only a thief, right? They may have other identities. They may be a caring father and husband. They may be, or wife. They may be um, a doting son or daughter. They may be, you know, there's any number of other things this person could be, right? right? But like one of those identities, because they've practiced it for so long, so successfully, is thief. Right. Right. And, um, but... This is the thing that was really important to me. It is not so much important that we figure out exactly where identity comes from, but that we make this distinction that just because somebody is a thief because they've stolen a lot, it doesn't mean that's their nature. Right. And that's the piece I really want us to latch on to because um, so often when we think about identity, we begin to think that we're stuck with an identity, that there's no other future for us than the identity that we have or the identity that we've been given or the things that we've been told that we are. Right. And what I want people to, to recognize and what I wanted them to pull away from this message is that just because you've shoplifted 4,000 times in your life 
it doesn't mean 10 years from now you're still going to be a thief. Right. So the implication is, I think, pretty obvious, that if we want to change our identity, then we're going to have to consider changing our behavior, our patterns, our habits. And that's really hard to do. Yeah, and I think, you know, part of it is this question of how does change happen? And so I didn't I didn't actually want this to be a message about me saying if you want a new identity, you need to stop stealing. Right. Right? Because I do think it's true that it requires a new set of habits, but what inspires a new set of habits? All right, so I want to pause there and, and, and make sure that we really get it, that this isn't a message about how to stop being a thief or a philosophical discussion on thievery or shaming versus unconditional positive regard. It is a message about what inspires a person to change in the first place. Right. And so I thought, you know, we talked about a story from John the week before. And, yeah, this week we talked about another story from John where this woman's caught in adultery. And um, is that it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the John 8 story. She's caught in adultery. Oh, there it is. It's in my notes. Um, I couldn't remember there for a second what we talked about. Um, and so these these people bring her before Jesus. So ultimately, this story is not really about this woman. It's about these people trying to catch Jesus and in, in breaking the law, so that they can so that they can break Jesus. But but be that as it may, they they find this woman. They have to find somebody who's doing something wrong, so that they can try to trap Jesus, which I always think is interesting. So they bring this person who is like innocent of what they're ultimately trying to accomplish, right? But she's going to be collateral damage. And they say she's she's adultered, then uh, that means we stone her according to the law. And so they're hoping to see if Jesus says, well, don't, we're not going to stone her, then they're going to say, well, you're not, you don't believe in the law, therefore we're going to take you and do something to you, right? Right. So at that point in time, perhaps the woman will get, would get up and go home, right? I don't, you know, it's unclear to me whether they actually want to kill this woman or if they just want to trap him. So what he does instead in typical clever Jesus fashion is uh, says, well, you know, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first one. And um, they, they walk away, right? And so he says to this woman, uh, what happened to your accusers? And, and she's like, they left, you know? And he says, who's left to accuse you or condemn you? And she says, no one, sir. And he says, well, Neither do I. Go and sin no more. And it's that last part that always bothered me, is does he really expect her not to sin anymore? And then I started thinking about kinds of the things that create the possibility for people to change, which is acceptance, right? Right. Um, to be... Um, to be viewed empathetically, right? And to be able to recognize that somebody else has empathy for you. Um, to be viewed positively, right? To be seen as a human being who has worth and value. Um, I think I said accepted. To be affirmed, to be validated. And I thought, like, I wonder if this is a really ancient way 
of saying, you're free now. Right. You're free of the identity that you've always had. You know, one can imagine in a modern day setting her having the identity slut. Right. And um, is this his way of saying, you're free of that identity, you're forgiven, and now you get to choose who you want to be? And to me, that's a very different idea than just stop doing that bad stuff you did. Right. Right? And, and stop doing that bad stuff you did doesn't even seem to match with the tone of a guy who says, the law says we should kill her. So whoever, whoever squeaky clean go first. Yeah. Right? That kind of cleverness. Right. That sidestepping the trap, but also creating a space of grace for her right. at the same time. It doesn't seem to me to indicate a guy who would say, stop doing all that stuff you've done. Yes, nor does it seem to be the guy who um, needs to pretend that bad stuff didn't happen. Right. Again, we're talking about this concept of severe mercy in my mind. Yeah. So it seems to me like, I guess the way that I look at it now is like, this is an invitation, an invitation to realize, you know, you've been given this identity. Other people gave you this identity, you know, as the adulterer. But you're accepted, right? And you're not condemned. And because of that, you get to choose, and so to connect that to what we were talking about before with identity is like what actually helps people make changes in their lives is that those qualities that we established a few minutes ago, acceptance and empathy and related ideas. Validation. Is like when people experience that, that is what leads them to make changes, research right. says. Right. And so um, it strikes me that that is what Jesus is giving this woman. Right, and that is going to open her up to become, to have some freedom to choose who she wants to become after that. Right, it's we, an it's an it's an invitation to change. Yeah, and we did that exercise last week. Like, imagine what it's like to be the person who received Jesus's mercy, like two weeks after he's gone. Right, right, and you have the same thing here. Like, you've received something, and in theory, like if you've really received it then that is going to free you up to make choices about who you want to be now. Right. And so, yeah, that's the word. That's the, that's the right word. Like I see that, that go and sin no more to me is not a shaming thing of stop doing the bad stuff, but it's a way of saying you're free now. Right. This is a chance for you to be restored. Yeah. And that's, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Um, that there's always there's always a way to be restored. It's just it's just a beautiful thing. Yeah, and you know when we asked this question of like I think part of what I did on Sunday is I asked a different question of the crowd, which was like, what are some of the things that actually we did this on Saturday night too? Now come to think about it, what are some of the things that people told you you were growing up? Right. And, um, you know, oh, somebody... Oh, yeah. Somebody said spawn of Satan. Uh, the demon seed. Demon seed, Somebody yeah. was told by their pastor that they were the demon seed. Somebody 
was told that they were lazy. Somebody was told that they were a druggie. Somebody was told that they were just a silly girl, right? Somebody right. not to be taken seriously. Right. Um, <laughs> I said, I remember the teacher calling me stupid. I, I, uh, we had a bunch of these things, these identities that, that people were given. And, you know, we really wanted to use this story to say, God loves you. You are free now. You are not stuck with the identities of your past. Right. You know, and what I really, what I really, I wanted to say it like, I didn't, I wasn't going to do this because it would have been really annoying, but I, I wanted to say that like 15 times in a row. Like, do you realize that you're loved and you're not stuck with the identity of your past? Yeah. You know, I think of that scene in, in Goodwill Hunting where Robin Williams says, it's not your fault. You know, he's just told over him about. and over and over again. He's just told yeah. him about the, uh, you know, the, the Matt Damon characters just opened up about the abuse that he suffered, right? And um, right. Robin Williams is sharing about the abuse he suffered. And Robin Williams, who's his therapist in the movie, says, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. It's not your fault. And they have a good cry and they hug each other right. and whatnot. Right, right. Um, probably not a lot of that happening in in real therapeutic rooms, but it's such a powerful moment to see. And like, that's roughly the kind of thing that I'm thinking of here. Yeah. Right. It's like, right. you may not realize that you're loved, but you are loved right. and you don't have to be who they always told you. Yeah. You don't have to be, you're not, you're not the demon seed. Right. right? You're not a silly girl. You're not lazy. You're not a druggie, or at least you don't have to be anymore. Right. Right. Your future can be different from your past. Right. You know, that's the big thing that, that I want people to know is there seems to be this idea that like eventually change stops happening, right? Or like the possibility for change uh, decreases as you get older. And it's not really, it's not true at all, but it's like, I think that the conditions that make change possible are so rare. Yeah. You know, that it's hard for people to make changes. And so it becomes hard to think, ah, oh, the future is more hopeful right. than what I've been imagining. Right. And it's not because change is, is not possible. It's because we're really bad at setting the table for change. Yeah. So, you know, I think, uh, I think that this reminds me of um, a conversation we were having or something where... Um, or maybe it was something I was reading. Anyway, no matter what, it this is this is what it came down to, is that um, it was a study about change for people who have substance use disorder. And in that study, um, there was therapeutic input from therapists, and and they were like, "Well, people don't change because they're in denial." Mm -hmm. And so it's sort of like blaming the sick person, right? Well, if you weren't in such denial, you would change. And denial, when we say, well, they're just in denial, that's a very hopeless thing to say because where do you go from there, right? Yeah, well, the, um, yeah, what people found out was that, because that was kind of at the beginning of trying to address addiction, right. right, from a therapeutic standpoint, was the idea that people are in denial, we need to break down denial. Right. But what they realized when they took the complete opposite approach is people, by and large, aren't really in denial about what's going on with them. When people are challenged, 
they get defensive. Right. Right. And so I think that's what you were referring to. Yes, that is and exactly that it. When we when we're actually able to do those things like the empathy and the compassion Validation. and the understanding, if you're able to create that kind of atmosphere, then people will actually pretty much own up to their stuff. And they tell you the truth. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh that they're also more willing to change. So what what they discovered in this study is denial wasn't the obstacle to uh, change. It was the techniques that were being used were completely unhelpful because they were absent empathy, compassion, validation, mercy. Right. They uh, they were called tough love, but what they really were were tough and mean, <laughs> spirited, and aggressive, and it pushed people in corners. And so I love this idea that um, uh, go and sin no more is a way of saying that a difficult past doesn't mean that you can't have a hopeful future. And to know that what creates that hopeful future is creating a world where people are treated kindly with dignity and respect. And I do believe that there is not enough of that in the world. Right. Agreed. That's why we're not seeing change. Um, And so we need to get better at that. Bottom line, though, I'll say it again. Your future can be different from your past. Absolutely. You don't have to, you're not stuck with the identity that that you were given as a child. Perhaps your parent kept saying you were, and you eventually one day began to believe it. You're not stuck with that, you know? Yeah. Um, I just really hope that's something that, that people can truly believe about themselves, that new and better things are possible. And that's ultimately about hope. And I'd love to think that we could also believe that about the people in our life that we've doubted can change. Right. So this is a a promising message, but I also think it's a bit of a challenging one. Yeah. Uh, How can you work on and develop um, a way of being in the world that makes the world a little bit better place? Yeah. A challenge for us all, really. Yeah. Okay. Um, That feels complete to me. Does it feel complete to you? I feel done. (laughs) This is the second podcast we've recorded consecutively. Um, I was worried that we were both going to fall asleep halfway through. I was worried that you were going to fall asleep. Yeah. Well, you know, I would be the culprit if anyone was. (laughs) Um. I would like to recommend, if I haven't done it before, a book called Consolations by David White. That's W-H-Y-T-E. Okay. Um, He's just, he's a poet. Um, And if I've recommended that before, then I'll just recommend one of his other books. He's got a bunch. So anything by David White. Um, He's, um, seems to be a person who's really well integrated, very thoughtful, but feels very deeply um, somebody really worth um, somebody really worth reading for that reason. Just you know, has a very complete experience of the world, and that, that comes through in his writing. That probably sounds like nonsense, but I don't care. Just read, just read them. 
David White. David White. Consolation. Is that the name of it? Yeah, Consolations. Yeah. Well, I've got a book, too. Ugh. Two books? How are they going to read mean, two books? Well, people can read two books. <laughs> um, Brittany asked me the other night, I had three books overturned on my, you know, like <laughs> open to a print, and she said, you're not reading all those at once, are you? And I said, yeah. Yeah. What of it? Yeah. You can never be reading too many books simultaneously. Yeah. Uh, one in every room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but now at my age, they also have reading glasses attached to them. Okay, so I'm recommending an author too, okay. but a particular book. Good. Her name is Josh, Jocelyn Jackson. Jocelyn? J-O-S-H-I-L-Y-N-N Jackson. She's known for, well, I don't know what other people know her for, but I know her for her beautiful work of uh, fiction that is often um, placed in cities that I love in the South. And uh, so she's a Southern writer. And uh, me being a Southern girl, uh, I really appreciate it. I'm not going to try to pronounce that again. They're just going to have to figure it out. Look, you're falling asleep. I know. You could hear it. I'm sure they could hear me yawning there. It's very embarrassing. So the name of the book is Between. Mm. And there's actually a Between Georgia. Mm. And Between Georgia lies. It's not like a story about a bridge or, uh, you know, something. But this little town in Georgia actually lies between two little towns in Georgia where people I love live. Mm. And so I see the little sign, and then I read the book, and I just felt really special. Yeah. Um, But she is amazing. And her stories are spiritual without being um, overly religious. And they often talk about the dilemma that someone has to um, figure out how to deal with forgiveness and redemption and the messiness of life. And uh, it usually has um, just a lot of just a lot of good stuff in it. Very so good. So I recommend it. I think it would make a great Christmas gift. And uh, if it's past Christmas, then it would make a great uh uh, winter's uh, Night Read. So, Jocelyn Jackson, any of your books are good, but I really particularly love the book Between. Very good. All right. You've been hearing music at various points in the podcast. It comes to us courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. You can find them on the web at sessions.blue. We are North Star Community. You can find us at northstarcommunity.com. Uh, we really appreciate you listening. Your presence matters. Bye bye. Bye.